When I was in year seven, I uh, told my friend, I didn't know many people at my school, and I said to her, I'll tell you a secret if you promise not to tell anyone. And I told her, drum roll please, no, not really, that I did ballet. Now, I did ballet until I was 18, and I was quite nervous about telling people in my new school. Um, and so I said, promise not to tell anyone. What do you think the first thing was that she did? She told someone. I was very upset about that. Promises, they're really important, aren't they? We know that promises are important, particularly when someone breaks a promise to us. That's when we realise, oh, goodness, promises matter. Because they're significant things, keeping our words. Now, I, I could promise that I will buy everyone in the room an ice cream, and maybe that's not a particularly significant promise, and you'd be a bit annoyed if I broke that promise. But some promises really matter, don't they? The promise to be faithful in marriage, that matters. The promise to, uh, for someone to pay back something they've borrowed from you, maybe even money. Those promises, they, they really matter. And the people of God in the Old Testament had been living with a promise. They'd been living with a longing that had gone throughout their history. And the longing, the promise from God was that one day he would be among them by his Holy Spirit. The promise was yet to be fulfilled. And yet what we'll see this morning is we, the people of God, this side of the cross, have the amazing privilege that that promise has now been fulfilled. But what we will see this morning is that yes, it's the privilege that the Holy Spirit among us is the promise fulfilled, but the Holy Spirit among us is also a promise of more to come. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, just two verses, verses 13 and 14. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to that. It will be on the screen otherwise. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And I'm reading from the ESV. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, that's believed in Jesus, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So exactly as Paul said this morning, we start a new sermon series where we look at God, the Holy Spirit. Spirit, And we'll be doing that for the next six weeks uh, until we get to our Christmas service. And we've called this series, It's Better That I Go. And we called it, It's Better That I Go, because that paraphrases words of Jesus when he was teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Wonderful words that we read in John 17, John 16, sorry. He says this, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage it is better. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who's the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, in these chapters, is teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And he says to his disciples that it will be good for him to go. It will be good for Jesus to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now, now think about this for a second. Who was he telling that it would be good for Jesus to leave? Who was he talking to? He was talking to people who for three years had watched him. They'd heard him teach. They'd seen the grace he lived with, the kindness, the, the forgiveness. They'd seen the power, the healings, the miracles, the liberations. They'd seen the good news lived out and preached. And Jesus says to these people who knew him that well, it's actually a good thing that I'm going to go away soon. How could he say that? 
How could he say it is good that he would go unless what was coming in his place would actually, as he promised, be even better? And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. No longer God with us in a single place in a single time as Christ was in human flesh, but the Holy Spirit, God himself with each one of us, not just with us, but within. Jesus said, it's better that I go. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to think about God, the Holy Spirit. It's six weeks, so we're only going to scratch the surface, okay? We're not going to do it all. But we're going to see the various reasons why Jesus could say, just a few of them actually, there's many, but a few of the reasons why Jesus said, oh, it's to your advice, it's good that I'm going to go because then the Holy Spirit will be poured out. We will explore why it's such a privilege that we sit this side of Pentecost, that the Spirit has been poured out. And as we look over these next six weeks, we're going to have two particular emphases, okay? So we're going to come to these again and again and again. And the first one is this, privilege. It is a great privilege that we are the people of the Spirit. It's the great longing of the people of God in the Old Testament that one day this would happen. So it's a privilege, that's one. And the second is expectation. If God is with us, if God is really with us, surely that will affect everything. The Holy Spirit, privilege and expectation. But back to this morning, which I always find it funny. I write titles and I write all these headings on, on my notes, but only um, Sarah and others at the back ever see them. But uh, this morning is called uh, the Spirit of Promise because that's what Paul called the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1. Did you see that? Verse 13, he says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, so, sorry, I'll start that again. In him, so that's in Jesus. In Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, as a Jew and someone who intimately knew the history of his people with their God, he knew the longing that one day the Spirit would be poured out. He knew that there was a deep belly longing within the people of God, that God would in a more full way dwell with his people, live with his people. Yes, there was the temple and that was wonderful. There was the tabernacle where, where God dwelt, but the people of God always had longed for more and Paul knew that. Maybe he was thinking of Ezekiel's prophecy. Some of you might know the prophecy of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. He says this, speaking as God speaks to him. God says, I will give my people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Paul knew there was a longing in the people of God that there was a day coming where the promise, the covenant, the relationship between God and his people wouldn't be external, but would be within them because the Holy Spirit of God, God himself would be in them. Maybe Paul was also thinking of Joel in chapter two, where Joel again is hearing God speak, where he says, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Because in the Old Testament, there were times where one or two had the Holy Spirit rest on them, but there was a day coming where all flesh, all of God's people would be filled with the spirit. But even those two prophets, they prophesied, quite near the end of Israel's history, if you, if you know your Bible history. But maybe Paul was thinking all the way back to Moses because Moses longed for the day where the Spirit would be poured out. 
There's a, a, an interesting story where 70 elders of Israel, 70 senior leaders in Israel are brought because God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on these 70. And two of them seem to kind of give Moses the cold shoulder and not turn up. And Joshua, Moses' apprentice, is pretty annoyed. And he says, tell them off, Moses. And Moses says this in Numbers chapter 11. He says, Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? Paul knew that throughout the history of the people of God, throughout Israel's history, there had been a groaning. For those who had eyes to see it, a groaning. Oh Lord, it's great that you're with us in the temple. But one day, won't you be with us by your spirit? And so Paul calls the Holy Spirit the promised Holy Spirit because he knew that hints through the Old Testament, verses like the ones we just read, God was promising there was a day coming where the spirit would be poured out, where his people were waiting for that ushering in of the new era. But now that Christ had died and was risen, that that new era had come. As Pentecost happened, the spirit was poured out. And so the first and probably the most important thing to take away from this morning or to take away from the whole series, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, is we can't take the presence of God for granted. It's just the most enormous privilege that we are, are the people of the Holy Spirit. It's just unbelievable how wonderful that truth is. And if we take it for granted, we are, doing, we are doing something just so below what God has for us because it's amazing. The Old Testament people of God longed for this day. And so this time we're going to explore that privilege. We're going to explore that we, the church, are the people of the Spirit. Now, let me be clear. Actually, all people who follow Jesus are people of the Spirit, okay? There aren't some churches who are spirit churches and some that aren't churches. But we want to be a church that knows the fullness of being the people of the Spirit. It's only the Spirit that brings to life. But we want to be a church that says, no, the, the Holy Spirit isn't just some academic exercise. We want to know the fullness of being the people of the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to do this term. We're going to explore different ways that we can understand the great privilege that the Holy Spirit is among us. We're going to think of things uh, like next week, Phil's going to look at that the Spirit isn't just a Spirit. God didn't just give us a Spirit, but he gave us his Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself. Romans 8 can say in one breath, the Spirit of God, and in the next breath, the Spirit of Christ. He is eternal, eternally God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a privilege. We're going to see that the Spirit with us now is how we know and experience the love of God for us. That's a wonderful truth. The Spirit brings us into relationship with the Father. As we go through the weeks, we're going to see that the Spirit poured out means that as, God people, as God's people, we hear God. He's, close. He's not a distant God. God is a God who loves to speak to his people, who is intimately involved in our lives. We're going to see uh, that the Spirit is one who changes us. He sets us apart as holy. He makes us more and more like Christ. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. Uh, we're going to see that the Spirit is the one who gives us uh, strength in times of weakness. The Spirit is the one who gives us boldness and accompanies us with power as we witness. The Spirit is the one who gives us gifts to build up and encourage one another as the church. We're going to see actually that the list goes on and on and on and that it is an unbelievable privilege that we are the people of the Spirit. We, those who follow Jesus, are the people of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in being part of God's people? 
being the people of the Spirit? Do we believe that that is a profound privilege? Do we live like that? Do we thank God in our hearts? Do you know there's something wonderful, I think Paul quoted it this morning actually, that in Ephesians 5, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, what's one of the marks? Thankfulness. The people who say, wow, God, you're among us. Wow, God, you're good. Wow, God, you are working with us. Christ has done it all and he still continues to bless us. Are we a people who live in thankfulness? Because God is with us. And Christianity isn't a religion of thoughts and ideas. It's not moral values. That's not the core of what it is. It's a relationship. Christianity is knowing the living God. And we could only know God because Christ made a way that we could come and know God. And that relationship is brought to life by the Holy Spirit. And so I pray over these next weeks, even today, that we would know that wonderful privilege as a people, that we would overflow with thanksgiving, that we would be a people who say, wow, God is among us. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Because what we'll see is that the Holy Spirit isn't just the promise fulfilled, the longing of the Old Testament finally come to pass, but he is a promise of more yet to come. So let's read that again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit with us is a great privilege. But the second emphasis I said I want us to look at this term is that as we look at the Holy Spirit, it must raise our expectations of what it means that God is among us. Paul here calls the Holy Spirit two things, a seal and a guarantee. Let's look at the first one first. So what is a seal? No, it's not an aquatic mammal that claps at the zoo. A seal is something which marks our ownership. Okay? A few weeks ago, some of you were here when um, Rachel was preaching through uh, the last passage in Haggai, and she talked about a signet ring where a king marks his ownership. He might, he might stamp a document or, or give his ring to someone who uh, works on his behalf. A seal is a similar thing. It's a mark of ownership or uh, authenticity. You might think of a king putting a wax stamp. In, in modern terms, maybe uh, you think of a, a brand putting a trademark on something. That belongs to me. You can't use that without my permission. Um, if you are a kid or if you're a parent, you might think of the little labels that you put in your school jumper. This belongs to the Sears family and don't steal it because they all look the same. Uh, if you're really super tech savvy, um, and if you are, please talk to me about this because I don't really know about these things. You might think of non-fungible tokens. Isn't that a fun thing to say? Has anybody heard of NFTs? They've been in the news the last like, year or two, haven't they? They are digital assets, digital things you can own, which in their data mark out that they're uniquely owned by a single person, okay? A, a seal in Ephesians is a mark of ownership. And this is what Paul says. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a mark that God owns you, that God keeps you safe, that you are his, that more precisely, we are his. Paul says here that when the Ephesians believed, they were sealed by the Spirit. What makes this even more, what makes this even more amazing, actually, is the context he's speaking into. Because the people Paul is speaking to in this letter, 
they would not have taken for granted they belong to God. We can take for granted, oh yeah, God loves me, blah, blah, blah. They would not have taken for granted they belong to God. They were Gentiles. The book of Ephesians, if, if you know it well, the book of Ephesians, right at the heart of it, is about the Gentiles have been brought in to being part of the ancient people of God. They didn't belong to God, but now they did. And what's the way that God marks them out? He gives them the Spirit. It's not a tag in their jumper that after you know, two years of washing fades away. He says, no, I'm so sure that you are mine. I will seal you by coming myself, God, the Holy Spirit. We are marked out by God. There, there is nothing in question or debate that you are his. There is no one who can contest that you are his because he marks you out himself. He is the seal, God, the Holy Spirit. My friends, if you trust in Jesus, God has promised you are his. We are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Now, actually, this is not an experience you have to experience. This is not a feeling you have to feel. This is not a prayer you have to pray or a set of steps you have to go through to be sure of this. No, actually, Scripture says, when you believed, when you heard the gospel of salvation and believed, you were sealed, okay? So this says it's done. This says it's done. Now, to be clear, we will come back to the fact that we do experience that wonderful assurance. We do. And other parts of the New Testament speak really clearly that we need to not just say, oh, oh yeah, it happened. But we need to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. That's what Ephesians 5, a few chapters later, talks about. That's what the book of Acts talks about. So we will get to those passages today and in those weeks. But here it's really important to say this is done. It's a fact. If you believe in Jesus, you're secure. You're his. Beautiful. I wonder if some of us live with worry. What does God really think of me? Will he hold on to me till the end? Will I get through this intact? God has sealed you with his spirit. Amen. You are safe in him. And because of the Holy Spirit, there is no doubt. You are not the one who has marked out your ownership to God. He is. But Paul doesn't just say he's a seal, the promise that we are God's. He also says the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. Second word, a guarantee. If you've ever um, taken out a loan, especially something like a mortgage, you put down a deposit, don't you? A down payment, a guarantee that the fullness will be paid at some point. Paul says the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. Because the Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, as he's called here, isn't just the fulfillment of a promise that God had been making for generations and generations. Yes, he is, but he's also a promise of more to come. He's also the promise of more to come because the guarantee guarantees more coming. The down payment is the first installment of the full amount because there's a day coming when we'll be with God in fullness. There's a privilege the Spirit is with us. It's just the most unbelievable privilege, but it's just a taste of the day when we'll be with him in fullness, where scars of the wrong done to us will be healed, where the stench of sin will be washed away, where frustrations of frailty and death will be done away with forever because we will be with God fully, uninhibited, as creation is totally renewed. That, that day is coming. And yet life in the spirit 
Life in the Spirit, the Spirit being poured out, is like God has reached into that eternity and he has dragged into the present time a taste of what's to come. He's a guarantee of more ahead. And so even in this broken world, in the heart of the community of the people of God, there is a taste of eternity. There is a place where hearts that are broken could be made whole. There's a place where bitterness can turn into mercy. Hatred into love. There's a place where brokenness can be healed. Here in the church, not the TDA, but in the church, there is a place where the eternity of fullness of God is tasted. Now, does that mean that we live without any worries in this life, that we live with total healing and victory and everything as long as we you know, do the right things or have enough faith? No, of course not. I'm not sure what Bible you're reading because I read the Bible is full of the struggles of this life as we hold on to the next one. And so is this life full of questions, full of mystery, full of frailty and weakness as we have to trust God for his strength through it? Yes, it is. But is it also a life where the spirit does reach into eternity and bring wholeness now? where there are breakthroughs in situations where wonderful, miraculous works of healings happen, where restorations of lives happen, where turnarounds in people's lives that we thought that, that they were lost, but God saves them. Yes, we hold that intention, but that is the truth, that we live in an age where the Spirit has been poured out and we taste, not in fullness, but in part, something of the eternity that God has for us because the Spirit is the guarantee of the life with God to come. And where there's assurance of a better future, and that's what the Spirit is, he's an assurance of a better future. He's a guarantee, and it's a, a, a down payment. As Romans says, he's a first fruit. When there's assurance, there's hope. When there's assurance of something better, there's hope. Now hope, which is based on something that you're not, Will they keep their word? They've, they've failed me before. That's not hope, is it? But hope based on assurance, that is a powerful thing. And some of us have lost hope. Some of us live without a deep sense that, no, my God will pull through in this. To believe that God is with us in our darkest moments as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For some of us right now in this moment, it's just the biggest challenge and we're not sure we can do it. But the Holy Spirit with us is the one who gives hope because there is a better day coming. And you know who's with you as you wait for that day? God himself. God by his spirit is with us as we wait for that day. The promised Holy Spirit is a promise of better to come. And when there is a sure promise, there is hope. Now, I said these things are truths. Whether or not you feel that they're true, if you believe in Jesus, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're his. He loves you. He has you. You're safe in him. If you believe in Jesus, then you have a great hope in a future that he has because the Spirit is a guarantee. These are truths. You don't need to feel it. There's nothing you have to do for this to be true. It is true. But, but, doesn't the New Testament speak of the Holy Spirit like his very presence among us makes a difference to everything in our lives? 
God doesn't want us to just live with kind of, oh my goodness, the Bible says so, so maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I just got to keep going. He doesn't want to live us. uh, He doesn't want us to live just with a cerebral academic sense of what is and isn't theologically correct. He wants us to have a deep assurance in him, which is something that nothing can bring you but God himself by the Holy Spirit. It's only God who brings us to life on the inside. And so I do believe the Bible speaks of a deep and genuine experience of the Spirit for us as believers. Now that looks like lots of things. We don't want to put God in a box, okay? That's really important. It's not put God in a box. It must look like this. The violent man who comes to faith in Jesus and finds a great gentleness. That's a work of the Spirit. One of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The prophetic word that comes on a Sunday gathering and speaks to our hearts. Wow, God just spoke then. That's a work of the Spirit, isn't it? The prayer for healing where someone is physically restored, that is a work of the Spirit. And even us being filled with thanksgiving, we're told, is a work of the Spirit. So we don't put God in a box. And each week, actually, we'll see more and more. What, how do we need to raise our expectations of what the Spirit among us must look like? But we should expect that it should look like something. We should expect that the Holy Spirit with us changes what it means to walk day by day. That God with us is a profound privilege which touches every part of our lives. And so today, as we come towards the end, I believe the Spirit wants us to know not just in our heads, but deep within us some of the truths that we've heard this morning. That you are his. There is nothing in question about that. No number of washes and laundry cycles will stop you being his. And that you can have hope because a better day is coming and God with you now is the great guarantee of that. And actually, that's not just something I want for you. But interestingly, after Ephesians chapter one, which if you don't know it, it's one of the most beautiful passages which unpacks all the fullness of what God has done for you and what God has done for us now that Christ has risen. After he teaches these amazing truths, which are verses at the end of that, Paul's first response straight after teaching is, I pray. He prays for the Ephesians. And so we are going to pray now. But let's read the words of Paul first before we pray together. Because he says this in the very next verse, in verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that... Okay, he's finally got to what he's praying for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. We'll keep going in a second, but Paul's first prayer is that you know by the Holy Spirit who God is. Now, some of your Bibles will say a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Some will say the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The best translation in in my understanding is the spirit because it's the Holy Spirit. If you'd love to find out more about some of the intricacies of Greek and some of these things, please speak to me after, but we're not going to get drilled down in that. But some of you will have noticed that's different. But the point of what Paul is saying is God, let them know who you are. That's the work of the spirit. God, open their hearts to see who you are because knowledge of God is not knowing about God. Christianity is a relationship. The Spirit brings us into deep assurance, deep relationship that this is my God. He's my Father. I'm safe with Him. He will hold me fast. 
We can trust him deeply. But Paul goes on. There's more that he prays for. I'll go uh, from verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. For those of you living with hopelessness, it is the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of your hearts that you might see God. Our earthly eyes see the world and it is depressing and it is painful and your personal situations might be bleak, but the Spirit of God opens the eyes of our hearts that we might see Him. That we might say, oh no, God is with us. And what does He give us? He gives us hope. That's what it says, that you may know the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance? It's not your inheritance He's speaking of now, it's God's because you're His. The Spirit opens our hearts to know the hope to which he's called us. And finally, he says in verse 19, he prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You see, my friends, the Spirit gives us hope. And that's not based on something in us. That's what the world says to us. You know, find it within you. What is enough to get through the day? There's something deep. It's not true, but God gives us hope. Hope not based on our circumstances, but based on his victory in Christ. Hope that says, actually, Jesus has been resurrected. If God can do that, then he's with me in my situation. Hope that trusts in him and that says there is great power in God, life-giving power. It's only the spirit that does this. The truths are true, whether you feel them or not, but the spirit opens our hearts, opens the eyes of our hearts to seeing these truths deeply in us. And so what we're gonna do now is we're going to pray. If you'd like to, if you're able to, why don't we stand? Maybe the band can come back up. And we're going to ask this very prayer that Paul prayed. We're going to ask that God would do that in our hearts. We're going to pray, Lord, would you bring this to life by the Spirit? Because this is a work that can't be done just by thinking. You can't think yourself into assurance. If you've ever been in a place of real anxiety or fear, you can't think your place, your way out of that. But God can give you peace. And so let us pray. I just encourage you, if God has been particularly speaking, to just be open to receiving from him now. He wants to meet with us. Father God, we come to you this morning and we ask, as we have heard truth from your scripture, truth that we are yours, truth that you have guaranteed our future, truth that you will hold us fast. Lord, we need by your spirit for you to bring that to life in our hearts. Father God, I pray even now as particular people are just just so resonating with a sense of hopelessness, Father, now for those who are saying, Lord, give me hope. By your spirit, would you bring revelation of your hope 
Father God, would you give them insight into who you are, that they might see that you are with them and that there are better days coming, that you will hold them and not give up on them. Father God, for those who live with a sense of doubt, am I really his? Am I on probation with him? Will he put up to me until he finds someone better? Will he reject me just like everyone else has? Father, with people living with that sense, I pray even now the Holy Spirit, who is the seal of our ownership, that we are owned by you, loved by you, kept by you, safe in you. Even now, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one who opens the eyes of their hearts to see that only you can do it, to see that they are safe in you. God is speaking to a few of us very particularly. Let's just wait in this moment. For some of you, there's a sense that um, there's something in your life that's been lost, I feel God saying, and that you think, look, as good as God is, that could never be brought back. I believe God is saying there is hope in me. What you may have lost, I'm the God of redemption. Now, I, I personally, I, Luke, don't know what that looks like, but God is the one who redeems and restores wonderfully. He wants to give you hope if that's you. Thank you, Lord. And for some of you, uh, you will have come this morning and you don't know Jesus. And you maybe you say, look, I've heard stuff about Jesus or Christianity, but I, I, it's not me yet. I don't, it's not what I do. It's only Jesus who gives us hope. It's only him who can be trusted in and relied upon. The Spirit opens our eyes, but not to something inside ourselves. He opens our eyes to what Christ has done. He gives us assurance of the, of the objective work of Jesus at the cross. And so if you've come this morning and you feel actually God is calling to you, Jesus is saying, come. His arms are open. What does Paul say in verse 13? He said, in him you also, when you believed. When you believed. When you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed. That's the invitation this morning. The gospel, the good news that Jesus has died for you is open to anyone that whoever believes is safe in him, assured in him. We're going to worship God together. We're going to praise him. Paul will lead us into communion um, at, at some point during our worship. But if God is speaking to you now, keep making space for him. If you have uh, words of knowledge of what God might be doing, if you have prophecies of encouragement, if you have a scripture or a song, thanksgiving, a tongue, uh, do come during the time of worship. Probably grab Paul is best and say, I think God is doing this so we can try and fit all of that in in the service. We want to be those who hear from God and are shaped by his spirit. And so let's come into a time now where we worship our living God. Let's ask that the Spirit opens our eyes to see Christ, the risen one who died for us and yet on the third day was alive again and who now is ascended to the right hand of the Father 
to the right hand of the throne room where all authority and power is under his feet. Let us worship our King together. Amen.